Coming up, the number one fantasy book podcast, breaking down the scrolls and spells of nerd culture. We are Phantology. You may have heard of us. Is it Edinburgh? I thought it was Edinburgh. Okay, we, we added ourselves as like ignorant Americans because I think the first time I tried to say it, I said like Edinburgh. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's weird. No, that's almost as bad as Yosemite. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Yosemite. <laughs> so this is a fun location that is probably not going to be part of our Dresden tour of Chicago. But if we get an international Dresden tour, we will extend it to Chichen Itza and Edinburgh. And Ed- Edinburgh. What's up, orphans and long-lost children? This is Phantology, Ben, Josh, and Steven on hand to review Changes, Dresden Files, Book 12 by Jim Butcher. We've been trying to get this one out for a while, actually, and it's happening, and we're, we're excited to get it out. Ben and Josh, uh, I know we've hyped this one up pretty much in every Dresden episode. Josh says something to Ben like, oh, just wait till Changes, because Ben is reading through for the first time, and Josh and I have read the series. So now that it's finally happened... Like, what are our gut reactions towards the book? Well, listen, if you follow along Discord, you'll know that I had some some things to say about it. And I think I came across a little bit too negatively on, on Discord. Like, I highlighted the things I didn't like instead of highlighting the things I really did like. And so <clears throat> my gut reaction was that it was a fantastic story. I loved the character development. I loved all the action and I thought that I thought it was a, you guys overhyped it a little bit in the fact that we didn't have any of the, who I would classify like the main characters die, which I I was preparing myself for a main character to die. Okay. Man, wait, if wait, you're, wait, if you're, wait, gonna, if you're going to say it's overrated. Just say it. If you're going to say it's overrated, just say it. I, no, I'm, I'm not saying it was overrated. I'm saying it was overhyped. There's a difference. Okay, so first of all, we're just doing no, we're not doing a no spoiler section of this, right? We're just, we, we if we're going to talk about this, we're going to talk about it. Okay, so before we do spoilers, with a brief no spoiler section, we're now going to start talking spoilers. Before we do so, if you like Phantology, check us out at Phantology Books on social media at www.phantologybooks.com. Interact with us on Twitter, Discord, wherever. We'd love to have your voice in the community which is growing and, and which is exciting. And we need more Dresden experts. We have a couple now, actually, who are, uh, yeah. are always happy to tell us what we missed and what we need to know better. We're just fans. We're not experts on the series. But, but we appreciate we appreciate it when you come yeah. in. And we really do. Certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. It, it, helps, it helps us all. Even when I have to admit I'm wrong, I appreciate it. And I think we've actually had a few people have very strong opinions on this, so we might incorporate some of those comments. So... If you've been active on Discord and we reference some of the discussions we found on Discord, I hope that you're okay with that. Okay, so that said, we're doing spoilers now. So if you have if you haven't read changes yet, you probably want to stop listening because a lot changes in the book. So I guess who's gonna say the big spoiler at the end? Okay, well, I just want to know why you can say that no main characters died when our literal viewpoint character dies. Josh, does Harry Potter die? Yeah, well. Harry exactly. dies for that's why I can say that briefly. That's why I can say briefly. that. Come on, Harry Potter dies for chapter. Harry Dresden dies at the end of Changes. He's dead, man. He's not dead. He's walking towards some light. That doesn't mean he's dead. And he the gets shot in the chest. The blood is pooling out of his chest. Just chest is not an area that you can take a shot like a shoulder or a leg. And he falls into Lake Michigan. He's dead. He's dead. Listen, Harry dies at the ending of Changes. So you are wrong with saying that the main char- that no main characters die. Okay, fine. But for all intents and purposes, he doesn't die, though, because he's also the main viewpoint character of the next book, wherein he is dead. That's fine. All I'm saying is that as a reader, you care about who you're reading about and where you're reading it from and, and whose voice that is. And that doesn't change. So you don't care that Harry dies. That doesn't, that's not a large change to you. No, it would be, it would be like a similar change to him becoming the white knight. You know what I mean? Like that's, I bet that's going to affect him. With the winter knight. 
the Winter Knight. Yeah, it's still it's a change and it's going to affect his character, but it's not like this. It's not like Murphy died permanently and we don't get to read about Murphy anymore. Like that was the type of like impact I was expecting to happen. An impact where you suddenly change planes of existence and we all know that that change probably isn't going to be permanent. That's not that big of a impact. Well, come on, man. He loses his apartment. He loses his car. He loses his staff. Like everything that you've, that you're used to him having everything that makes Justin files what it is in the first 11 books is ripped away from him and becoming the winter knight is a huge deal because it's going to change his very nature and he also gets paralyzed like his back is broken and he's able to you know get over that as the winter knight but if he doesn't have that mantle like his mortal body is broken so like i can't really think of too much more that could actually have changed for him like i said my criteria for this is some is jim butcher took a red marker and put it through a name that we've been reading about and a character that we've been loving for the past 11 books. And that did not happen. So when you say you can't think of anything more, that's something that could have happened. You could have X Thomas, you could have X Murphy, you could have X Molly, but he didn't. Well, it's not Game of Thrones, right? It's not Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah, but there's also a big, a pretty big cast of characters that are, are awesome to read about that aren't essential for the plot that, that I'm look at, I'm just saying, the way the, what I was expecting to happen, I guess didn't happen. That's not to say a lot of great things didn't happen, but I'm just saying that the amount of changes that actually occurred in the book weren't. No, no, the, there were a lot of changes that occurred in the book, just not the one that you wanted to have happen. Okay, that's fair. But what I'm saying is like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on, man. People's houses burn down. People people get in car accidents. Like, yeah, these are things. If any one of these things that happened in this book happened to you in your life, that would be like a life-changing event. If your house burnt down, that would be a life-changing event. If you break your back, that's a life-changing event. If you have to kill your freaking lover, that's a life-changing event. If you have a daughter, that's a life-changing event. All okay, things happen. Whatever. I guess, what's the point of this argument? A lot of things happen to change the story. But no main characters were killed permanently. Okay, that's where we're landing. We've established that Ben is very bloodthirsty. <laughs> I think that's where we've landed. <laughs> There's no red wedding in this one, okay? I mean, I, I see your point. So you're thinking, you were thinking you'd be more of like a complete, uh, that there'd be maybe more like emotions involved in the changes more than just like, okay, the plot is advancing and that's cool because things are different now but maybe like you weren't emotionally shocked quite as much. Yeah. I mean, like, again, I think I made this comparison on discord to me. It felt like, like a season finale where like, okay, you know, next season is going to be different, but you also know that the cast of characters is going to be there and dealing with the fallout. Also, I mean, after, you know, 12 books, you expect some things to have happened that are going to, you know, drastically affect Harry. So all I'm saying is let's look at Harry now at the ending of changes to let's look at him at book one. What's happened. He's had uh, Thomas added to his life, like completely. Right. Yeah. That's a huge change. He's had Molly, Molly added to his life. He's had. Sure. His relationship with Murphy has grown. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's developed a lot. He um, is now the winter night. He is now no longer has like the doom of, or is that back on him? What, what's the status well, of that? The, the doom of Damocles is always on him. Like as long as he's training Molly. Right? Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. He just has the doom squared right now. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, he, he no longer like has his business anymore because it's been destroyed. He no longer has his car. There's just been a lot that's changed. Plus, I think we're understating the fact that he does die and sure, like he'll come back in another plane of existence and ghost story. I mean, I think just the fact that there's a 13th book is alerting you to the fact that something's going on. But that's a huge question mark that could go in a lot of different directions. Yeah, that's true. And if you're just reading this as it came out and not binging it, it would be a way bigger impact, I think, than just seeing, okay, the next book is called Ghost Story. Now I kind of know what that's what direction sure. this is heading in. Sure, sure. But like, also as an author, you have to know that people, most of the people that read the book are going to not be reading it as they come out, I guess. Like, you have to 
kind of plan for that in in your writing. Yeah, that's tough to do, man. No, who are you writing it for? You're writing it for your fans. I know. Yeah. I just, I'm just saying you can't expect people to be like waiting on the edge of the seat of their seats when uh when they know that they're getting a 13th book. Well, this has a lot to do with the current state of the Dresdenverse between Peace Talks and um, Battleground. Battleground. Not to you know go go listen to our episode for our full thoughts on this, but generally a lot about what happens in Battleground is going to determine how good Peace Talks really was. Right. So, okay, so should we kind of go, I think we should go through the plot beats at this point because there's a lot to say about a lot of things that happened in this book. So I think yeah. we've kind of had our 10,000 foot overview of the book. And and I'll just say my take on, on changes is, you know, you've had 11 books that's established everything. And it, they're books that are more, we always describe it as fun romp through Chicago. And they're more one-off and like a plot is starting to happen. But after changes, it's not just changes for Harry, it's changes for the entire series. Like the series is no longer the fun one-off detective urban fantasy. Now it's become more of an epic fantasy almost in terms of like, okay, the plot is really, is really evolving and we're getting towards this apocalypse that Butcher wants to have at the end of the series. And I don't think that's possible unless you have a book like Changes that totally just changes the tone of where the series is going. Yeah. It's a, it's essentially halfway through. It's like the halfway mark of the series because he wants to write 20 books and then have the three book finale. So you've got 11 books, you've got Changes, and then you've got 11 more books. So yeah, it's it's halfway. Yeah, I agree with that. It, it was for sure a, a tone change, even like with what Harry is willing to do. Like that's that's big, you know? Yeah. Okay, so Stephen, how does this book start? What happens at the very beginning? So as you know, at the very beginning, Harry gets the bomb dropped on him from Susan that he has a daughter. He has an eight-year-old daughter that was the product of their last tryst back in the day before Susan ran off with the whole Red Court thing, tragically. And Harry's pretty upset, understandably. He hasn't been clued in on this until now, and now it's important because she's been kidnapped and Susan needs his help. But like, why was Harry not a part of this before? That's rough on him. And, uh, and I know that uh, I think you guys kind of had some thoughts on the whole daughter plotline thing. Like, did we like this? I mean, again, I did not like that motivation at all. I think that this was the weakest point of the book for me. There's a few reasons why I didn't like it. One, I didn't like it because I felt like it was a cheap way to give Harry strong motivations. At least like, you know, with the with with Turncoat, the previous book, he was motivated by solving Morgan's mystery. And even that had more relevance to Harry. Like it had more reason for existence than this did. This was just like we need a way for Harry to like be willing to sacrifice his set of morals that he's developed the past 11 bucks. And we're going to say that it's this eight year old girl that is his daughter. I don't know. It felt it felt very flimsy to me. I don't know why it's a problem that he has a daughter. It's just a new thing in his life. It's blatantly it's blatantly put there for for plot reasons, though. That's no, that's why I it dislike was, it. You look back at the time that he and Zo- Susan had sex. Go back and read that chapter, and you can tell like he makes it very clear. There's probably going to be a pregnancy that comes from this, I, so, especially with how little sex is shown like actually on screen in Dresden Files. Like this is a pretty big foreshadow. Okay. And now that Harry's a dad, I mean, that just adds another element to his character. I don't think it's a problem that, I mean, sure, maybe it's used a little bit to advance the plot and, but but is that a problem? I'll also say maybe it was foreshadowed. I've, I've asked a few times on discord and nobody's been able to show me a place other than that scene that foreshadowed it. And it always makes a big deal that like Harry's a wizard and dealing with the primordial primordial forces of the universe. And so like, shouldn't that, shouldn't there be some way to like know that you have an offspring from the primordial forces of the universe? Like, shouldn't you feel like some cosmic sense of that or something? Like to me, that could have been used to foreshadow some type of magic where Harry like felt like something was different or like something had come into the world that would affect him or something like that. That's a foreshadow. Ah, 
that that's the big deal with like having someone's blood is like they can just attack you at any time without you knowing this kid has his blood he has his dna well that's what i'm saying that that's what i'm saying like if someone has your blood like you don't even know they could just attack you at any time like i think it's some i don't know like that it's not the way it works and but I mean, well, Harry Harry hasn't been able to figure out that Ebenezer was his grandfather until the end of this book. That's true. That's true. But also, he wasn't really looking for his grandfather, and I guess he wasn't looking for a daughter. He wasn't, looking, he wasn't looking for a daughter. But okay, I'm saying if you're looking for ways to foreshadow it, there's plenty of ways to do it, and that that would have been a cool one. But it wasn't foreshadowed except for that one scene. And and if you remember at the very beginning of Dresden Files, sex was much more of a of a thing for Harry. So it, the fact that it happened, it was kind of it kind of got away from that as a series. But but it was sex was always present back. But then. isn't the fact that Susan's been gone and like there's really no way that Harry could have known? So how could it have been for? I mean, I guess I kind of get what you're saying, but I feel like you're really nitpicking here. No, you guys are the ones that saying it's masterfully foreshadowed. I'm saying show me one other instance. Here's an example of how it could have been. Uh, personally, I'm not saying it's masterfully foreshadowed. I I don't know if we're saying it's masterfully foreshadowed. We're just saying you're you're saying it came out of nowhere. It did. No, we're, <laughs> we're, so so I think we're pushing it back against that. Where no, they had a scene. They showed you when it happened, when the conception happened. That scene is in the series. So it's not out of nowhere. I'm not I'm not arguing that it was impossible that it happened. I'm saying that if you take a look at everything up to changes, you could take that the fact that Harry has a child out of the series and nothing else will have changed. Up until changes, this had no impact whatsoever on the series. It wasn't foreshadowed at all, except for in one scene where technically it could have happened. It did happen. So all I'm saying is that for for something to drive the plot so incredibly hard, for Harry to sacrifice the very core of who he is, not to be introduced at all for the eleven for the past eleven books, was the weakest part of the book for me for sure. I feel like it's not all that different from other Dresden books. It always kind of starts with your kicker, right? So in Turncoat, it was Morgan coming in and saying, you know, they're after me, and I've been framed. And in other books, it's, you know, it's always some mystery that's not out of nowhere, but it's, I don't know that it needs to be super well connected in order in order to work. But in other books, Harry's not sacrificing the core of who he is. In this book, he did. Well, because he has the, mo- because it's the motivation that because he Because he had a motivation of a daughter, right. But all I'm saying is that that motivation wasn't earned. You can't just hand somebody a daughter and expect that to carry your plot. The the thing where I think you're, I think I really want to push back is it's well earned within the book, within the narrative no, of the book itself. I- immediately when he finds he has a daughter, he's like, "I'm going to do anything to get this daughter back, to get my daughter back." It's so it's a total like taken situation, right? Like, it, there's no real, there's it wasn't earned at all. It was just here's a daughter, she's taken. Now you're going to go all, you know, Liam Neeson on these guys. I feel like it's earned in the fact that Harry as a character has been set up over the past 11 books where we believe that Harry is a man of such moral fiber that he would do this if he had a daughter or if he had someone to do it for. And now that he does, it's totally believable that he's noble and selfless enough to go to those lengths. Okay, so I think that that is true. But Harry talks a lot about the fact that he was an orphan, right? He talks a lot about that throughout the series. I I like that. But he never said, he never makes comments like, he, I mean, he didn't change this, but before that, he never made comments like, if I had a child, it would be different. Or I would, like, he never sets himself up in his own mind as a father, thinking about how he would, he would be different as a father. I guess he's never thought about that. I'm not a father, and I don't really very often think about what it would be like to have kids because i don't have that right but but if you're an orphan that might be different right like if you're an orphan and you you would think about oh i don't know you always kind of think about what you wish you would have and and how you would provide that i'm just saying another way it could have been foreshadowed yeah i i i could see that sure i do feel like we're nitpicking a little bit though no because that's the core of what the book is that's the thing. That's why I'm like refusing to let go. It's the core. It's the core motivation for changing the entire series. I mean, that's okay to nitpick. All right. I think we'll have to leave this off to uh, to a Discord discussion. 
at this point. So, so let us know what you think of this one. I think we've kind of heard both sides of the argument. This has been reading the beginning of the book and being like, oh, I didn't like it. And then just no, like, it's not, no, no. First of all, I also had this complaint about a series that relies on alliteration for its name. I don't want to spoil anything for it. It's also a series that we've reviewed in the past. I also, yeah, I, know. I know you're talking about, yeah. I had a complaint about that. And maybe it appeals to like my sensibilities as a father. Like the fact that you're using children as a blatant plot device kind of irks me, you know? So it's not me deciding I just randomly didn't like it. It's it's a thing for me, I guess. Don't mess with Ben's kids. <laughs> yeah. I'm, t- I'm foreshadowing it right now, all right? I'll go Harry Dresden on you if you take my kids. <laughs> all right. So the plot, I mean, we, we said one thing in the plot thus far. We're going to have to speed it up. <laughs> So Harry Harry meets up with Susan and her partner Martin. This is uh, Martin's this dude from the Fellowship of Saint Giles, and they've been working to kind of undermine the Red Court, and now they're back on the scene. So the first thing they do is they try to find some data in Harry's apartment, not his apartment, in his in his office. And this is an office that's actually been owned by the Red Court the whole time. They go in there, they fight some vampires. Building explodes because it was wired. And they come out with some maybe helpful clues, but um, this is how it starts. And then Harry kind of goes into the part of the book that always happens in Dresden where Harry gathers his forces. He talks to all his friends. He follows some leads. And the first place they go is to Edinburgh. And actually, Josh, Ben, and I, um, in in our turncoat review, we weren't sure. How do you say you've been to Scotland, right? Or Ireland? Ireland. Is it Edinburgh? I thought Edinburgh, it was Edinburgh. Okay. Okay. We, we added ourselves as like ignorant Americans because I think the first time I tried to say it said like Edinburgh or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's way that's wrong. That's almost as bad as Yosemite. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Yosemite. Okay. <laughs> so they, they go to Edinburgh. And Edinburgh is, is where, of course, the White Council is of wizards. And Harry's surprised there by Duchess Ortega, the very vampire who he knows has taken maggie she's there brokering a peace deal in the ongoing war with christos christos is the new member of the senior council that was introduced in the previous book that seemed real shady harry and ebenezer both think he is black council and harry talks to several of the wizards and they think yeah yeah we're not really into this red court peace thing like it doesn't seem like it's something it it seems shady but also harry sorry we can't help you you have too many of our own problems. So compelling start. Yeah, compelling start. Nice foreshadowing throughout the whole series for the Black Court. That was done very well. For the Black Court? The Black Council. Black Council. Red Court, Black Council. I'm just saying, this has been earned. Right. So this has always been mysterious what the Black Council is trying to do. Now we kind of get some more clues here. Because Christos, like isn't confirmed Black Council, but man, he seems real shady in this doesn't seem like something a wizard should be doing. Yeah, for sure. So they learn that there's some kind of ritual being planned. The Red Court is, is planning some ritual. Sounds real shady. And right away, you're like, okay, the Red Court has my daughter. And also they're doing some kind of ritual. So it's like put two and two together. And you know, this is going to be pretty bad. The FBI is also getting involved because Murphy tells Harry that the FBI is after him as a suspect in the building explosion. So Harry runs into the Never Never, he stashes Bob and the swords, and he retreats again because he's attacked right away. And then he's arrested by the FBI. And in this book, like, I'm still a little unsure why the FBI has to be a thing. I like that they're a part of it because it, it kind of grounds Harry in the muggle world, so to speak. But at the same time, they never really do that much. They're always these small-time players. I agree. It's kind of, I think it ups the stakes a little bit when you're reading about kind of disaster happening in the muggle world, as you say, you're like, oh, whatever. But like when you're, when you can kind of have a frame of reference, like, oh man, like this disaster is happening like in the FBI building. And like, these are Hmm. FBI people that are getting hurt right now. Like that, I think it anchors it. It grounds it a little bit more. And we've seen this before in Fool Moon, pretty, pretty similar, at least this part of the plot, at least. Yeah, and and it's cool because with Full Moon, Harry references that a lot with with Murphy throughout the series. He's always like he kind of uses it as a reference point. He's like, 
oh this is this could be as bad as the oh i forget what you call that creature oh the loop girl loop girl yeah yeah this could be as bad as that and the murphy's like oh man we gotta go take him out you know murphy's always murphy's always good for it she's she's always that she's fearless yeah she is fearless but she's also she needs to make sure that she's fearless in the right direction you know yeah so she wants in on it she's going to get in on it but at the same time we're investigating a few more leads so harry goes with susan and martin to nevada they get some info on the upcoming ritual which is happening somewhere in central america he gets a bunch of info from his white council friends and he learns that the council is entirely split. Christos is arresting people. Ebenezer says, you know, we really can't help you, Harry. I'm sorry. It seems like a war, like a schism is happening here in the White Council. And it's a little off screen. I, I kind of wish this was more on screen. Like, Harry should have been a part of this a little bit more, especially after everything that happens in Turncoat, where it's all set up. I don't know. Maybe I want this to happen in a different book where it's more the central part of the plot. Where you, really, where you really see the White Council turning on itself rather than just hearing about it. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's also interesting because because who you thought was Harry's enemy, oh, what's his, the Merlin, like actually turns out to kind of be Harry's friend in this one and kind of gives him right. some, some help along the way. And so now it's like, yeah, Christa, Christos is like the new big bad of the, of the White Council instead of the Merlin. And I guess the Merlin was never really set up to be a bad guy just like kind of an uncaring just a callous jerk really yeah yeah exactly like you never thought that he was like his motivations were evil just he didn't care about the individual life as much as maybe you would hope so he can't do anything for the white council they can't do anything for him and i think he calls ivy as well and she can't help him this is the archive and he might follow up on some of the leads as well but ultimately he goes all the way down the ladder to marco so Marcone is the person we're making a deal with in order to get help well, for Maggie. I think Ivy actually told him to call Marcone. So Ivy was like, you need to talk, like ask the person you would want to ask the least or something. So oh, okay. then he's like, oh, okay. that's Marcone. Yeah. I, Ivy's there for Harry. You know, she's like, I don't want to alter the fabric of the universe, but you should call Marcone. Okay. So he talks to Marcone and Marcone connects him with the god Odin. This is Odin from Thor. Nah. I mean, we've seen Odin in a major motion picture made by marvel a little bit different this is an odin that harry has seen before in fact uh so he he goes by vaderung in the series more so than odin and he's also played the part of santa claus and he was a part of the whole the whole wild hunt thing that was happening back in deadbeat so this is set up well and it's he's kind of a fun character and it's interesting to see entire gods now being involved in the storyline. Yeah. I love the Odin Santa Claus thing. Just putting it out there. I thought that was, I kind of, I kind of completely missed that. I think I have no idea. I can't remember that happening in the great hunt. Well, it did <laughs> <laughs> go back and read deadbeat or, or just read on the Dresden Wikia and it will tell you that that happened. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll believe you. Yes. He's, he's the same character. So he tells Harry about the bloodline curse that's happening that the red cord is preparing. So this is where we finally get the info that, you know, once this curse, once this ritual is carried out, whoever's blood, whoever is sacrificed, like their entire bloodline will just be wiped out immediately. And if Maggie is killed, then Harry will be killed. And we don't really know exactly why Harry is such a time. I mean, we do, we know the red cord hates Harry, but there's more to it that we'll see later on involving Ebenezer. And Vaterung also tells him that it's happening at Chichen Itza. So this is a fun location that is probably not going to be part of our Dresden tour of Chicago. But if we get an international Dresden tour, we will extend it to Chichen Itza and Edinburgh. And Edinburgh. (laughs) Oh, that's how we say it. Okay. Listen, Chichen Itza, I actually went there last year. It's awesome. I also magically lost my phone there. So if we go on a tour, then we're going to have to look for that. Well, you were probably just there about the same time and all the magical energies conspired right. to destroy your phone. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, any like large amounts of real uh, indigenous looking people that look like they'd maybe been like thralls for the Red Court or <laughs> vampires running around or, or large blasts of magical energy, no signs of that type of thing? 
I mean, I will say that there were a lot of tourists that were running for cover from like a torrential downpour, which sometimes could look like a pack of vampires running for their lives. That was probably it. Although, I mean, the book came out in 2010, so you probably missed it, unfortunately. Maybe there's still magical energy kind of swirling around there, though. (laughs) Sure there is. Something like that. There's got to be. I mean, aliens built it in the first place, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. So after getting this info, Harry fights a pair of vamps called the Ebes. They're like a husband-wife team of vampires that have some different powers, and Thomas and Mouse help him fight them, and he fights them off, but they destroy the beloved Blue Beetle and Harry's oak staff that he got from Ebenezer's oak tree. So, like, I really felt emotionally attached to the Blue Beetle, probably just because it represents who Harry is so much, and the fact that he's losing this piece of junk, for some reason, is so much more impactful than the actual monetary value of his loss. Well, Stephen, you also experienced a loss much like this with your... Yeah. Yeah, I guess we're going there. Yes, my first vehicle, slightly better than the Blue Beetle. It was a F-150, white F-150 with an extended long bed. And one day after work, when I was in high school, I worked as a lifeguard. My truck exploded. My truck exploded. There was a part, I think it was on the cruise control, that was supposed to have been recalled. And I was living in Arizona at the time. And the day it was so hot that a spark hit something and it was anyway. Anyway, the uh, the gist of it is that the engine caught on fire and fire spread and it hit the gas tank. And the whole thing exploded. <laughs> I think I was working at the time. And one of the other guys was like, hey, man, your truck's on fire. And I'm like, uh, OK. And I go out to the guard room and I'm like watching my truck explode. <laughs> with total dejected like you could probably see the light go out of my eyes as i'm like oh there goes my summer crap (laughs) i'll just say i had vested interests because i think it was that same summer we had like filled that water that truck bed up with water and like acted like it was a pool and drove around our little suburb so that was like a highlight for me i can't even imagine what what you had with that truck so i think that blue beetle probably hit you hit, hit you with an emotional punch that was yeah, yeah that, that, that's a good connection. I didn't even thought of that. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, we went we went hard in that truck for sure. <laughs> that, that was a big loss. And it, but I, I think the Blue Beetle was more of a loss for Harry. <laughs> yeah, because it represented his personality so much. Yeah, but he also got like a sweet ride to replace it soon thereafter. Yeah, I think Larry Larry gives him like a Rolls Royce. Yeah, because it, it was like a wraith. A, the model was like a wraith or whatever. And you're, you're like, okay. cause of course it would be, you know? Right. Right. Which kind of fits his new personality as winter night as well. Right. Yeah. He's no longer the, the uh, people's man type wizard that drives around a beat up blue beetle. Now he's got, you know, a nice blinged out car. Sure. Yeah. And he's still alive for this part. So living luxury, he's chasing down his daughter. So after, the Blue Beetle is lost. Harry's about to lose another thing, which maybe represents him even more, which is his entire apartment building. So he returns home and still in Molotov cocktails, his apartment building. And Harry, I think, is inside at the time. He tries to get some other tenants out, helps them. He ends up like up on a ladder and the, the whole apartment explodes. He gets blown off the ladder and breaks his back. Luckily, Sonia is there to help him. Sonia, the last remaining Knight of the Cross uh, at the time, helps Harry uh, but he's paralyzed. He realizes pretty quickly. And so yeah. at this point, he's pretty much had everything that he knows taken away from him. I mean, he's still got his people, but all his stuff is gone, including his physical being. So I will say one of the highlights of this for me was when he was trying to help get his landlady out and his landlady was like deaf and like couldn't understand him. And so he would like say something and then she would like not understand and then like five seconds later say the same thing. And so he's like constantly rolling his eyes. It's like an example of like Harry, like this very serious thing is happening, but, but you're just like manages to add this like witty humor in that like makes you appreciate it. Also, I'm just going to say the fact that like Harry fell off the ladder and broke his back, like he survived so much crap. And then like, that's what gets him at that point. That was kind of a, Okay. Yeah, but it's pretty reasonable. Harry is just human at this point. Yeah, that's true. 
Yeah, I didn't have a problem with that. I think I think it was done well. You know, it was kind of this is the belly of the whale. Is that what you call it? What's the plot device when they're at their lowest uh-huh. level? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is, though, I felt like this was more of the rising action. So it felt weird for him to kind of go through this as you're expecting to like arrive at Chichen Itza in like mm. an hour, you know, because at this point you already have like the deadline and he knows like where he needs to be and why he needs to be there. And so I don't know. To me, it felt kind of like a weird, we're going to pause so that we can set this up even more as an epic battle. I could see that. It's a little bit different plot structure here. I think we're pretty familiar to Harry's health bar going down and down and down as the series goes on, as books go on. So we're it's not crazy that Harry's getting beat up, but at this point, it's like way more than we've seen before. That's true. And and this is after I or I don't is this when does Murphy and um or sorry, Susan and Harry go and take on the goblins? Is that after this? It's after. Okay. Okay. My bad. I'm getting my, my timeline confused here. So the paralysis thing for me, I thought it was okay. I thought that maybe it wasn't quite as shocking for Harry as it should have been. Like, But maybe that was because he knew he had the winter night thing in his back pocket that would help him. And he just goes right to it. But at the same time, if this has happened to you, it should be like, so shocking and emotionally just overwhelming that you're probably not going to be able to handle any situations well for the foreseeable future. But I guess it's okay because he becomes the winter knight right away and is able to then handle things in that way. I don't know. Disability stuff always kind of is interesting to me because it's real personal for me, but I, I thought it was okay. I'm like on the fence about this one. Yeah, I don't know. It was, again, I felt like like a way to progress the plot to where I felt like Butcher knew where he wanted to arrive in this book. And the way that he put things in place to get there wasn't always the cleanest for me. So he takes Mab's bargain, finally. And this one, I really don't think anyone can have an issue with how this played out. Because the whole Winter Night bargain thing, that's in like almost every book. Mab is always, anytime we see yeah. Mab or Leah, they're always like, hey, Harry, be the Winter Night. And Harry's like, eh, I don't want to be the Winter Knight. And you know <laughs> that eventually he's going to be the Winter Knight because of just how much it's been brought up. And finally it happens. Yeah. So I guess I'm going to ask you guys, is it foreshadowed that there's going to be a Winter Night baby at the in 11 books from now? What do you mean a Winter Night baby? Well, I oh, mean, I see. as part of the, the ceremony all of the Fey realm witnessed there, this should be a clear indication that 11 books from now, there's going to be a plot device that, that drives Harry forward. Okay. Yeah. I know. you're. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't think so. This is not just sexual. It's supposed to be like more of this uh, magical joining of energies. And no, I don't think there's a winter night baby coming. Okay. So much saltiness coming from Ben right now. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Nice nice shade thrown there, Ben. I okay, fair enough. But no, it's not gonna happen. So the next thing that happens after Harry, you know, picks up his mantle, he's now the winter knight, he's got all this power at his disposal. Him and Susan again go into the Never Never after a fight with vampires at the police station in order to escape. They go into the Never Never and they go into the Earl King's lair. This is the guy that we saw back in Deadbeat, and at the time the Earl King was like, Harry, if I see you again, I'm gonna kill you. And so, okay, I see you again, so we're going to throw down here. And here was a scene that I maybe, like, didn't think needed to be in the book. Because did it advance the plot of this one all that much? No, but I think that we wanted to see Harry and Susan kicking butt together at some point. And that could have happened in Chichen Itza, but, like, the way that I think Butcher had planned it out in his mind wasn't going to happen that way. And so... This was our time to see Harry and Susan thrown down with some goblins or some vampires during it. I mean, it was a fun fight, but I'm almost like there's so much other stuff going on. Do we need this? Yeah. Maybe we don't. I agree. I mean, it could be setting something up in the future. You know what I mean? Like where Harry uh, meets this guy again. Yeah. I mean, Butcher does like to keep these guys around for at least every few books so he can bring him back if he wants to again in the future. That's fair. 
I guess that's always your excuse. Whenever I bring up something like this that happens in the later books, you're always like, well, this just happened because it's going to circle back around in like five books from now. And you're like, and so maybe like we finally reached the point that that hasn't circled back around for you guys. But like for me, it felt like just one of those things that's going to have an impact okay. later down the line. Yeah, that, that's fair for sure. I think now what I'm what I'm wanting to have happened is I wish instead of the Earl King fight, I wish we got the White Court fight. Not the White Court, the White Council fight. The White Council, yeah. That's I fair. wish Harry was on screen for that rather than this one. Yeah. If I had to choose. Okay, so after this, in one of the funner scenes from the book, everyone gets outfitted. So Leah comes in and gives everyone some cool armor and gear and stuff, and then they make their plan. And the plan is funny because the whole time there's kind of this like underlying fellowship of the ring joke that's going on as we're making this serious plan to go save the world. Uh, Harry admits to Ebenezer that Maggie's his child and Ebenezer kind of strangely says, oh, okay, you've got to go after her. And previously Ebenezer has been like, no, don't do it. And now he is. And so this is foreshadowing to uh, this relationship, ultimately the fact that Ebenezer is Harry's grandfather. So do you guys remember this scene? I remember it. Fun. Yeah, it's a fun one. I like, I like it when well. people get stuff. It's fun when people get stuff. Yeah, I I agree with that. It's also funny because like it, it's funny Leo being the fairy godmother, right? Like like dressing Harry up like Cinderella. Yeah, whatever. So that's that's fun. And I think she even says like the spell will only last until X amount of time. Right, right. And so it's kind of bring back like the elements of. A fairy tale that you always hope to see because it makes you smile. So my question for you, do you think Ebenezer was purely acting in self-preservation at that point because he knew the bloodline course would bloodline curse would affect him? Or do you think that it was go save your child because it's the right thing to do? That's a tough question. Ebenezer is an interesting character, especially from recent books, Peace Talks especially, I don't know the answer. At the time, you want to think that he's like a good guy and cares for his granddaughter, but you're right. He is the Blackstaff and is involved in a lot of questionable things, and I don't know. I don't know what my opinion is. Without doing spoilers, it's kind of hard to really think through. I don't know. What do you think, Josh? I hadn't even thought. I thought it was just, yeah, he maybe had regrets for you know what happened to his daughter and that he wasn't able to protect her so that's what i thought at the time but i think this is a good point yeah. of him especially yeah, as we're seeing him in different lights i don't think we can answer this question until we ultimately see where ebenezer goes towards the end of the series hmm. wow it seems like i hit on something big, <laughs> big with that question yeah no yeah. I, I like this one this is a good one Ben. Yeah, you need to read. Yeah, this is. You right. need to read. Listen, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. All right. Yeah. Okay. So I guess moving on from potential spoilery thoughts from you guys, I was going to say, what do we think about Murphy being Gimli because of the shortness and, and everybody's refusal to voice that? Yeah, th- that was rough on Murphy. Come on. I mean, <laughs> maybe that's a diss on Gimli. Gimli's cool. Gimli is awesome. Yeah. And who is, who is Harry? I forget. Was Harry Sam and they kind of made the... I think they did make Harry Sam. I think Harry was Sam. I want to say he was Sam. You're right. And Butcher got to go on his, like, the the hot take that everybody loves to have, that Sam was the, the hero of the series. Sam was so, the hero. Yeah, so I think that... I think Harry ended up being Sam there. Yeah, that's nice. I hadn't... I, yeah, I hadn't thought about that at the time. I, I like that, too. There's a lot in this book that's really good. Yeah, I agree. Another fun moment was right after this, they go through the Never Never, and for whatever reason, probably just for comic reason, uh, Leah has to turn them all into dogs, and then Mouse can talk with them now. And so we finally get Mouse as like more of uh, an actual character that has a voice, and this is really fun. There's a line where I think Mouse, or someone asks Mouse, like, oh, how did you get connected with Harry? And Mouse says, oh, yeah, I won over Harry, as if like Mouse was the one who was doing that was the well, real hero. I think, and not Harry. I think that's kind of more, you know, might be more telling than what it's. I don't think that's just for comedic effect. I think it was more saying uh, that Mouse won the privilege of guarding Harry. Like, yeah, I think that Harry has kind of like a. It's alluding to the fact that Harry's probably more than who he seems to be. Mm, okay, that's how kind of that how I take it. 
so Harry gets Mouse. Oh, I don't remember which book. Towards one of the beginning, beginning of one of the earlier books, but Mouse, you know, sneaks out of the box and hangs out with Harry for a while, long enough to, you know, become become a permanent fixture. Well, maybe like maybe all the dogs wanted to sneak out, and he had to like win the ability to stay with Harry or something. I don't yeah, know. Maybe there's just some stuff going on behind the scenes that we're not privy to. That could be a fun short story. Butcher writes writes a lot of short stories. That would be a fun one to see. Yeah. So we get to Chichen Itza and the fighting starts. Immediately, Harry uses some nice earth magic, which we don't see him use a whole lot. He uses like some gravitational stuff and also some nice combos of fire and ice magic that he can now wield with his winter night mantle. The vampires have a lot of guys in their forest and it's looking really bad. Harry talks with the Red King. The Red King is kind of comically short and doesn't all seem all that intimidating but he is in fact like he's been the force behind everything that's gone down harry arranges this duel with ariana who's the vampire that took maggie captive and harry wins the duel but the red king immediately uh, reneges on his promise and fighting then continues and this is like a real long extended fight scene every character kind of has their moment it's a really good one, though. These climactic scenes are always fun. I'll say a few things about this. I think Murphy was my probably my favorite part of this scene where she like wields the sword and speaks some inspired words uh-huh. and kind of starts slaying evil people. So I, I really like that. I thought that it was like where Murphy could go in future books. So I like that. I also, I thought that they made good use of Molly's gifts and kind of showed the power that she possesses and could wield yeah, she did this kind of cool magic rave thing that happened yeah 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 i don't know it kind of it kind of showed well and this is kind of another point of the book overall i think every character got to like their max point in this scene right like harry was maxed out molly was maxed out murphy was maxed out you know what i mean like they're like maximum power so it's like where do you take them after this and so I feel like something big had to happen to kind of set them back a little. Well, one thing you could do is change everything by eliminating Harry from the book <laughs> and setting everyone back to square one with a new enemy that comes in and changes everything. <laughs> oh, you could do that. Okay. All right. So I guess moving on, continuing in the battle. I mean, Josh, what do you remember from this battle that kind of stuck with you all these years? Yeah, I just think that it was really cool in the fighting in the jungle, like you guys were saying, I really like Murphy getting the sword. That was like one of the most more impactful moments for me. And going back to when was it when Harry opened his eye, his third eye and saw, saw Murphy. Is that in this book or previous books? No, it was a previous there was one book. Where, yeah. He, he sees her as like a almost fallen archangel or something like yeah, that. Like as an angel and total force of, of righteousness. Yeah, we talked about this. We talked about it in one of our uh, episodes. And I was like, I, I really wanted to uh, talk about her, the moment of her wielding the sword, because that's what it made me think of. So that stuck with me a lot. And then just really how powerful this crew was. This is kind of a crew of misfits, right? You got Harry, who's kind of like on the outs of wizardry. You get Molly, who was kind of a self-taught wizard, but is now actually being tra- trained. You had Murphy, who's just, for all intents and purposes, a, a muggle. You have Mouse. You, you just had like this group of misfits, kind of like the Fellowship of the Ring, right? Which is why it's such a good uh, metaphor. But coming together to like full-on take one of the most powerful like forces of darkness that there is in the Red Court, and like hold their own against them. So they're holding their own until Ebenezer and the Grey Council arrive. The Grey Council is what Ebenezer has named his crew of internals that are trying to take out the Black Council. And like you were saying, Josh, the misfits are holding their own well. The adults or like the fully trained wizards are having some serious problems of their own. And they, and they finally do come in and help. I think they take out like hundreds of vampires all at the same time. And we really see how powerful Ebenezer is. I mean, we've seen this before a little bit like when he brought down the satellite on top of them. And we learn what the real purpose of the bloodline curse is. We learn that they're trying to kill Maggie because 
Ebenezer is Harry's grandfather, and this will kill Ebenezer. And the Red Court is really even more mad at Ebenezer than they are at Harry for a variety of reasons. So he's the target. This is a huge reveal. I mean, this is not one we can just brush aside. Ebenezer has been a big character in the series. So to think that he is blood related to Harry, that's going to change things. Yeah, this was one that I thought was well earned. Um, I thought it was one I didn't see coming. And I thought that it showed off. I don't think I don't think the series has set up Harry to be an unreliable narrator at all. But it has set him up to be an arrogant narrator where he thinks that everything's all about him. Right. Like, yeah. So. So the fact that we kind of are seeing the world through Harry's eyes limited our scope as an audience as well to seeing that, hey, possibly there's people outside your like outside you that the Red Court could be interested in hurting, you know. Right. Typically, the story revolves around Harry. He's the one that all the action happens to. Kind of like Harry Potter, we've made this comparison before. So it's interesting to think that, hey, there's actually someone who's a lot more powerful than you that these guys are actually mad at. It's not just you, Harry. Yeah. And I mean, gosh, Harry knew that that the Blackstaff had brought the satellite down. And I mean, he talks about it often. So like, why yeah. wouldn't you think that the Red Court could be mad about that? You know what I mean? He's like, oh, they're mad because the duel that I, I started with, uh, what's his name, is the thing that led to that. With Ortega, the Wrigley Fields. Yeah, duel. with Ortega. Yeah, like who cares about that duel? Like the thing is, like who are you going to be mad at? The guy that dueled somebody based on an honor duel, or this person that brought down a satellite from the sky and wiped out an entire compound? And I mean, even before that, because Harry was the one who originally started the whole war back in book three, yeah. I want to say. So it was more than just the duel, but yeah, like more so than Harry, who is like. 30 something years old right now there was years and years of history going on yeah that's true so then the tables turn harry turns the turntables as michael scott would say and martin helps here uh he turns susan into a full-on vampire and everyone kind of realizes the situation here that if harry was to kill susan then this would you know as the youngest red court vampire the newest vampire who's just barely turned this would rebound against the entirety of the red court. And so he does. So Susan agrees at this point, she, you know, she makes a real noble sacrifice and the entire red court is wiped out. So I think it might be a little risky for the red court to prepare such a powerful spell that has the potential to wipe them all out. Like, did they not think of this? I guess it's just arrogance on the vampires part. Yeah, I mean, look at you know that there's a glass cannon that's going to be built in, right? So, Mike, okay, my question is, was Martin good or bad? Because he was Boromir. Well, okay, <laughs> fine. No, but seriously, like, right? Like that's, I mean, he double crossed somebody, right? I mean, did he end up being good or bad? I that was still it went too fast for me to really keep track of his allegiance. I, I think changes. his sole thing was not really to protect Susan. His sole thing was to bring the right court down. Like that's what was, was that? So that that's what it was. Okay, yeah. Okay, he was good. He was good in that sense. I think that was his plan all along. To get kind of zoom in on this scene, Harry says, "Susan, who told the Red Court about your daughter?" And then she realizes Martin did, and then she kills Martin in order to become out of like anger, thus becoming a Red Court vampire, thus being able like making harry able to kill her too so like i don't know if susan really did make the sacrifice she at least tells harry that like she gives harry her permission to kill her well after she's already become the red court vampire right like she's already kind of knows that her soul is lost at that point right so yeah martin manipulates her i would say maybe the toughest thing to believe about this is like martin's level of foresight in setting this all up like really martin is a is a master manipulator here are, are we to assume that martin foresaw this scene and like maneuvered players until they all got here and that harry magically figured it out like just in time like i figure if martin really had set that up that he would have done something to initiate like the end game you know what i mean instead of just waiting for harry to do it you know yeah, this is tough. 
I'm, I don't know if I have a great opinion, so we might have to throw this one over to Discord and get some opinions here. Yeah. When I was just reading it, though, I think I thought it worked. You know, when I was just turning the pages and, and wrapped up in it, I, it made sense. And, you know, I was like, oh, that's crazy. You know, oh, Martin, you know, right. double-crossed Susan, and, and, but he did so that he could take out the right court. Like, it, it added up in my mind. I think, yeah, you're right when you pick it apart you might there might be some issues there but also like why did jim butcher need that to happen he could have had the same thing happen without throwing in the martin curveball like susan just could have gone too far somehow right right susan could have gone too far or maybe maybe everything happened the same only martin was just a double crosser you know what i mean he just double crossed susan he always worked for the red court i'm not i'm not sure Maybe there's a, I, I assumed I had missed something with it. And so I was like, oh, I'll just ask, you know, Stephen and Josh. There might be something we're all missing. Yeah, well, let's let's throw this one over to Discord. If not, we're just going to assume that like Dumbledore, Martin was the one who had planned everything and behind the scenes was manipulating everything so that Harry, our wizard, would do what he was destined to do. <laughs> okay. Okay, we'll stick with that for now. All right, so... We win. The day is won with, you know, some minor losses. Susan died. Molly got shot. She'll be okay. Let's focus on this a little bit more. I thought it was, I I was like stunned when Harry actually killed Susan. I thought he was going to tr- be able to pull something out where he, I don't know. It was, it was shocking. Because Harry's character is always that he must protect the damsel in distress type yeah, women. This and whole- he gets so connected to them. And even though he's real mad at Susan, you figure they'll be able to make up somehow in the future. This this whole war was started because he didn't want, right? There's like some girls that were in the the manor that he, it was actually Susan, right? right? It's actually Susan. He was saving yeah. Susan. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he started this whole war to save Susan. Yeah. So that's that's some nice symmetry that like it began and it began and ended with Susan. So that's, and she's that's now cool. the mother of his child. So there's a lot of reasons why killing yeah. her is a bad thing to do. Yeah. Also, let's just focus on the fact that like this girl, because um, Maggie, Maggie. Yeah. Maggie knew that Susan was her mom, right? Because Susan would go visit her. And so like poor Maggie just witnessed her mother die. Like that's got to be traumatic. Does she actually see this or not? Well, she's like kind of pushed off the altar and huddled to the side. So maybe she didn't, but this she was addressed. there. This is addressed later. Okay. Well, here's why it bothered me because it, it kind of shows like in the in the aftermath, it kind of shows Harry just kind of huddled holding Maggie, kind of like rocking back and forth for an unknown amount of time. If I was Maggie, I'd be like, who the F is this guy? Like he just killed my mom. Like get me away from him. You know what I mean? So it, it A kind little of, bit, yeah. It kind of took me out of the moment a little bit reading that. Yeah, why does she? Why is she okay with Harry? I mean, because earlier Harry had said like, "Don't worry, honey, I'm going to get you out of this" or something, and that was like his only interaction with her. But it didn't like, it didn't say like, "Oh, and there's a spark of recognition in her eye" or something. Like maybe Susan had showed Maggie pictures of her dad, or you know, like there's ways that it could have been addressed that wasn't. I don't know. I, I guess I kind of like tacked up to the haze of battle but yeah it was kind of weird for me i guess we'll say there's a lot of emotions maybe this was harry comforting himself oh so you're saying that there was no maggie like maybe it's just like i don't know a little girl like somebody giving her a hug after all this like even if it's just a random random firefighter that's like hugging a girl after he rescues her from a building like it's still providing some measure of comfort to the girl but i think it's probably mostly for no it was definitely for harry but i'm saying like Maggie would be freaking out still and trying to get away. Maybe. I don't know. If she saw it, maybe. Dang, we might have to we might have to throw this one to Discord as well. But I agree with you, Josh. It was a big moment for, for Harry to and it was foreshadowed with the fact that Harry um killed the previous winter night that was suffering, had already lost his soul. Mm, right. You know what I mean? Like Harry kind of had primed himself to make that decision earlier in the book. That's another, yeah, man, there's a lot of good connections. That's another one that I hadn't thought of until you said that. Huh. Like I said, I really like, like, there's a lot of things I really liked about this book. So I, I kind of got a bad rap on Discord where I, I was arguing against it, but I, I liked a lot of parts of it. 
All right, so everyone takes off. The day is one. Back in Chicago, Harry's living in Thomas's boat, the water beetle. He's got nothing. Murphy, who is on the outs in her job as well because of some of the FBI drama, comes to him, and they're about to hook up, so they're finally going to get together. And in the ultimate bout of misfortune, Harry is shot <laughs> before, before he can finally get with Murphy. Bang, bang. And he falls... He falls into Lake Michigan, and he is dying. I mean, maybe he's not dead by the time you read the last page, but he is dying. Yeah, for sure. And there's no reason to think that he will be saved from death. (laughs) Except for the fact that there's a 13th book to kind of break the fourth wall. Well, yes, but there's no reason to assume that he will be rescued from this situation he is currently in, drowning and being shot in the waters of Lake Michigan. So I immediately called Josh when I got done listening to this book. And I was like, obviously, it's Kincaid that shot him. So that's my prediction right now without knowing anything else about the series. But I mean, come on. He's shot from like how he dies exactly how Kincaid said he was going to kill him, you know? So I don't know. That's where I'm at right now. So you think it's good foreshadowing? Yeah. I mean, again, this this killing was foreshadowed excellently. This killing, not killing this this Horcrux type killing. Man, he's he's dead. He's totally dead. I do. I I don't get it, man. I you just don't want to admit that there's a big change. All right, we we are we already killed we already killed that one. So we're gonna move on to the final segment. Do we have any more worse of the best? I mean, we kind of already talked about things we really liked and and some small things we didn't like about them. Was there anything else we haven't touched yet? Hmm. I think for the record, I'm just gonna say my worst of the best was the whole Maggie situation really really that was your worst of the best yeah i think so i mean best yeah so what about you two? was it the was it the the goblin battle with the earl king yeah it's between the goblin battle which i am settling on that i would have rather had the white council battle from harry's perspective it's between that and just the whole paralysis thing i feel like fantasy disability is not a thing that fantasy does well at all like, I really haven't seen many good examples of it at all other than First Law with Galacta. So this was something I felt like maybe could have been explored a little bit more, but it was, like, so quick. It's like being paralyzed is not a small thing in your life. But at the same time, I mean, there's so much else going on, and it really propelled him to take up the winter mantle. So it was good in that regard. I'm, like, okay with it. All right, Josh, you got any kind of good worst of the best? I don't know. Um, I think I would have liked to see... Murphy take on a little bit more roles, like a bigger role at the ending of this book with her, like wielding the sword and everything. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting because she draws the sword and she uses it, but in small favor, small favor, she barely drew it when they're fighting the Denarians. And then afterwards she tells Harry that she doesn't want to be a Knight of the cross, but it's like hinted at so strongly that she will be, so that's tough. You know what? Where, where, do, we, where a, do we go with that? This is kind of like exactly with Harry and the and the being Winter's Night, where it's like she doesn't want it. Harry didn't want Winter's Night, but like it's kind of you can tell that like the universe is like nope, but this is like your destiny. Like this yeah. is what's going to happen. Yeah. So I don't know. I think I agree with you, Josh. Like with the whole Murphy and Sword thing, it's kind of like two steps forward, one step back th- throughout that whole process. All right, so that's a wrap. The long-anticipated review of changes. We're through 12 Dresden books now. Ben, I know you've already finished Ghost Story, so we we only have three more reviews that we have to get out, and Battleground comes out in like a month. I don't remember the exact date. It's in September. It's going to be close. It's going to be tight, guys. We're going to try to get them all in. I'm going to finish it by the time Battleground comes out. Okay. Because you guys already reviewed Peace Talks, right? So how many books do we have left to review? We already reviewed Peace Talks. We just have three more that we need to review. So I hope all three of us can get on a Battleground review yes. really soon after it comes out. September 29th. So we got, oh, we got nice. a month and uh, a half. And a half. Uh, oh, the end Easy. of September. I don't think Easy. I've ever been relieved. I, I've never been happy to see a book date, <laughs> a release date, then pushed back a little bit. <laughs> uh, okay, we got this. This is this is awesome though. I I mean I'm liking Dresden more and more right now. So it is crazy. Like to, to Josh's point, to like see how far it's come from the from book one. You know, it's it's really cool. And besides this 
book. Like there's nothing huge that changes in any book. It's more just little things. Incremental. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, that's not to say we're not, we're not saying that nothing else is going to change between now and peace talks. There's some more stuff that's coming down the line. Yeah. But just between now and the book one between changes and book one. Oh yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening. We are excited to get into the remainder of the Dresden books. If you like Phantology, check us out at social media, at Phantology Books, and please get on Discord and let us know um, how we can improve and, and what comments you have on this book. I think we're looking forward to some, some walls of text from some of our Discord uh, members about uh, what we did well and what we, what we didn't. But uh, we are, uh, we're, we're passionate fans, but definitely not experts. So thanks for supporting. If you'd like to support Phantology Books more, you can check us out on Patreon. As well, we have some tiers there with some exclusive content. And uh, please interact with us as much as you would like to. So Ben, Josh, thanks guys. And we will see you guys next time. Yeah.